This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Hello and welcome to Where Parents Talk, a weekly look at what science says about raising kids today. Thanks for joining us here on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Leanne Castellino. Work-family balance. Is this a concept you believe is achievable or an urban myth? What tactics should working parents consider to fit it all in and get it all done at home and at work? Our guest today set out to answer those very questions and more as a working mother herself. Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn's journey of discovery culminated in her first book called Work, Parent, Thrive. Dr. Schoenbrunn is a clinical psychologist, assistant professor at Brown University in psychiatry and human behavior. She's also a family therapist and a mother of three children under the age of 12. Dr. Schoenbrunn joins us today from Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you, Leanne. To say that you are one busy working professional and parent would certainly be an understatement. So at what point in your own journey did trying to better manage both your work and family take on deeper meaning for you? Probably right when I became a working parent 12 years ago. Um, I actually really anticipated having not too hard of a time because I had achieved a really stable professional life that I really loved with very supportive colleagues, many of whom were parents themselves. I had a supportive partnership, a flexible job. And so I actually thought I kind of had it in the bag. And so it was a surprise to me that it was so hard. I found that when I went back to work, you know, I had eight weeks leave, which in the States is pretty typical. It's actually fortunate to have that long in the States. Um, but I thought I would be okay. My child would be in childcare and I would do the work that I loved. But I found myself crying every commute and really feeling uh, kind of brokenhearted at, while at work. And then when I was at home with him, feeling like I was getting lapped by my colleagues. And so I started thinking a lot about what this dilemma meant. And I started reading everything I could get my hands on. But most of what I found in the bookstores and libraries really spoke to this the outside structural issues, the lack of parental leave, the lack of workplace flexibility, the inequality in a lot of marriages. And for me as a clinical psychologist, I felt like it was missing something. The conversation was missing something. So I started diving into the academic literature. And there I found more of what I was looking for, some of the issues that were more psychologically based. And also, as somebody who's not a natural optimist, but a dedicated optimist, I'm really into the happiness science that psychologists have really um, dedicated themselves to studying for the past several decades. And what I found in academic literature really spoke to that, that there is tension between roles, and that is a part of what is so challenging for working parents. But there's also these opportunities within that tension to access really beautiful things, greater creativity, greater resilience, greater skill sets in both our parenting and work roles. And so what this book represents is both a psychologically based book about working parenthood and a positive psychology based book for working parents. Before we dive into the science, I want to ask you, what did you try when you were going through this yourself? Where did you turn for support and what kind of solutions were you able to find, if any? 
That's such a great question. I tried so many different permutations because I thought possibly one of the challenges that I was experiencing would be resolved by working less and parenting more because I just felt so heartbroken really is the best word that I can use to describe how I felt to be apart from my infant. Um, and so I worked with my colleagues, my mentors at the time, I was a postdoctoral fellow at the time when I became a parent um, to reduce my hours. And I went to, I think, 50% pretty shortly after I became a parent. And that didn't do the trick. I think that was, you know, one of these things that we often think we can fix what is hurting inside by changing some of the structures of how we do things on the outside. And I think this is one of the challenges in working parenthood is that we imagine that if we had more childcare or an, a more equal partnership or more flexible workplaces that we wouldn't feel that tension. And I think those outside solutions are really critical, especially for some people, they have really inhumane work, working parent conditions. But I think those outside solutions only get partway because I do think that part of what is challenging in working parenthood is that we're involved in multiple roles that we care about. And this is something that Freud said way back when he was in, um, you know, very popular. He wrote, love and work are the cornerstones of our humanness. I think that for so many of us, we're drawn so deeply to participate in these two different roles. And by nature, they conflict with one another because they both are so demanding. In addition, what we know from psychology is that happy lives are full of demanding roles. This is something that characterizes happy people is that they have a lot of role obligations. And so there's sort of this paradox that happier people have more demanding roles, but happier people are also in more role conflict. And so what we know is that we can't undo that conflict because then we'd be less happy. We, we can't undo it and end up as happier people because then we would have emptier lives. But we also need a way to navigate those tensions. And so I think what I initially tried, getting back to your original question of drawing back on my professional life and feeling like, oh, no, that's still not doing the trick for me, is what a lot of people find is that this tension isn't going away and that we do need, again, some of the better supports from the outside. But we also need to grapple with the psychological tensions that exist no matter what we do. And so for me, you know, recognizing that drawing back on work wasn't going to do the trick really led me to dive more deeply into some of these psychological tools. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, clinical psychologist, assistant professor at Brown University and author of Work, Parent, Thrive, 12 Science-Backed Strategies to Ditch Guilt, Manage Overwhelm and Grow Connection. So you're immersed in this research with a first-hand perspective as a new mother. What then made you decide to put it all together into a book? Yeah, that's a great question, too. So I, I know exactly what it was because it was a very uh, seminal moment in my own life where I, I was really struggling with these issues. And I was talking with my husband about what it meant to be an ambitious, achievement-oriented person who had kind of pulled back on my professional life and how hard that was. And we had this sort of conversation that opened me up to really be thinking about some of the psychological, some of the pieces of the psychological journey that I had taken. And one day during my kids, at the time I just had two children, one was three and the other was one and a half, they were down for their naps. And I thought, you know, I think I have something to say here. So I sat down during their nap time and I penned this op-ed piece 
I'd never written for popular press audiences before. And I literally Googled how to submit op-ed piece. And of course, at the top of the list is instructions to submit to the New York Times. So I did, and it got published there. And what, so that was a really powerful moment, very exciting for me and kind of a new pivot in my career, which had up until that time been purely academic in nature. And I wrote this piece and the response was just wild. It kind of went viral. The piece is called A Mother's Ambitions. And what people were saying is, you know, it really touched them because this was something that they had grappled with too, that the drive to want to parent and the drive to want to achieve ambitious things in their professional lives was something that was so common and that for many people the way that they sort of found peace in allowing those to coexist was something that wasn't really talked about very much. The psychological way that people sort of say, you know, I am both of these things and there's balance and there's nothing earth shattering about it, but there's something so human about it. And it, it wasn't sort of being talked again from that psychological perspective, which I think really spoke to a lot of people. And so that's when I decided to write a book, but I will just mention that from, because I wear a lot of hats and things move slowly, it took me a lot of years to get to this point. Let's talk about the science. What was it that you were struck by as you were researching and putting this book together that you think the average parent, working parent, really needs to understand and be aware of? Oh, you're asking such great questions. I love this question. I think that the main thesis of this book is a really surprising one. Our conversation about working parenthood in the modern world really focuses on a term that most people have heard of, which is work-family conflict. This idea that our two main roles compete with each other for finite resources, our time, our energy, our attention. And what is so cool is there's an, an entire science on a construct that is very uh, parallel to work-family conflict called work-family enrichment. And that's the idea that our two roles help each other. And what is so amazing about this science is that it shows that both are true, right? There is a reality that our two roles compete for our resources. And at the same time, there is a very substantive literature that demonstrates the ways that our two roles can help each other. And I think about it along three different dimensions. The first is this positive pressure effect where the tension between our roles helps us to build skills. So for example, if you have to step away from your parenting role and into your work role, you're going to be developing work skills, which feed back into your parenting role. So you, Leanne, have this great skill set of asking questions and listening very deeply. Guess what? That helps in parenting. As a parent, you've probably had to learn to be patient, to perspective take, and that really helps in your work role. So for most people, they can find those kind of skill transfer benefits. In addition, the pressure to stay step away from one role forces you to take a break from it. And in that break, you get rest from that role, but you also have an opportunity to activate this creativity that happens when you're not consciously focused on a given role. So there's these rest effects, there's these creativity effects that are so powerful. Okay, so that's kind of the first, the positive pressure effect. The second is the stress buffer effect. And that's the idea that we have stressful experiences in all of our demanding roles, but we can complement them with positive experiences in the other. So if your child is going through a difficult developmental phase, you can go to work and have a sense of mastery. If your work is feeling really isolating, you can go home and have hugs with your kids. So we can buffer those stress effects. The third 
uh, domain is something called the additive effect. And that's the idea that happy lives are filled with meaning and purpose. And the more rules we have, the better chance we have to access that meaning and purpose and the more meaning and purpose we can access. And so through these three paths, we can see that not just despite, but actually because of the tension between roles, we can access this enrichment effect. And so if anything, my main hope for people after reading this book is to shift from a work-family conflict mindset to a mindset of work-family enrichment because work-family enrichment actually embodies some of that conflict where it's not toxic positivity. We actually can see that the conflict is there, but it's not a net negative. It actually can serve as fodder for a lot of the enrichment that we can access. And the more we know how to access that enrichment, the more of it we can get to. And we can even do it strategically. More of our conversation with Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, clinical psychologist, assistant professor, mother of three, and author of Work, Parent, Thrive. When we come back, evidence-based strategies to manage guilt, overwhelm, and deeper connection. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. We are talking about the realities of modern working parenthood. It can seem like an endless cycle of mounting tasks at work and at home and fewer hours to get them done. Our guest is Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, author of Work, Parent, Thrive, 12 Science-Backed Strategies to Ditch Guilt, Manage Overwhelm, and Grow Connection. She is also a working mother of three. Dr. Schoenbrunn, what did you discover in the science about guilt as it relates to working parents? So guilt is such a common emotion for for parents, and I would say particularly mothers. This is a I think a lot of the social messaging that we get that really pressures us to parent in particular ways. And we feel like we should be doing all of the things all of the time. And so the result is guilt. So let me say a little bit about guilt and with respect to what researchers have uh, elucidated the function of guilt is. So in functional emotion theory, we understand that all emotions kind of serve a function typically to help us survive or reproduce. And guilt is one of these emotions that is very interpersonally oriented. So it serves to protect our relationships, either from harm that's been done or from anticipated harm. Now, in pre-modern times, this is really important because guilt helped you protect your kids right, from a predator. It also helped you protect your relationships with people in your village so that you wouldn't be turned out of the village because that would have been the end in in those uh, times where there wasn't a lot of protection. Now, our culture has evolved much more rapidly than our brain. And so guilt gets triggered very easily and, and for protective survival purposes. However, those functions are no longer necessary. And so when we feel guilty, for example, for not showing up because we have a job and our kids' uh, field trip happens on a day that we have meetings and we can't cancel, guilt is going to get cued, right? We're not there for our kid. And our body just responds to that as if there was a serious danger. And so what we need to understand about guilt is that it is cueing you to make sure everything's okay, but you don't need to take it seriously like you needed to in pre-modern times. Instead, we can sort of look at it and say, you know, 
is there a danger here? Do I need, have I been neglecting my kids too much? Is it maybe a, a good night to make sure that I'm home uh, for dinner and to put them to bed? Or is it really kind of okay? And what I'll say in addition to that is often with the parenting guilt, what we have found ourselves doing in modern times is overparenting, right? Sort of this helicopter parenting, snowplow parenting, lawnmower parenting. And guilt is part of what keeps us doing that. And it's not even not helpful. It's counterproductive. It is interfering with our children's ability to develop independence and resilience, creatively problem solve. And so, for example, with the chaperone example, if I don't show up to chaperone my child's field trip, they might be disappointed. And that's actually a really good opportunity for them to learn how to tolerate disappointment and to still be able to talk it through with me and repair. It's a good opportunity for them to develop independence, to ask another caregiver for help if they need, so to develop their interpersonal skills. And then what a nice opportunity for them to come back with excitement and tell me all about their day. And the more that we can sort of allow guilt to cue us, but then to let it go, the more that we can reduce its toxic effect. Because what we don't want is for guilt to show up and then we have to go to work and then we tell our kids, oh, I'm such a bad parent. And we tell ourselves, I'm such a bad parent. And then we're not able to focus on our work and we're kind of shaming ourselves in our parenting role. That is counterproductive all the way through. It's also, again, counterproductive to always allow guilt to tell you you have to always be there. Because again, if we swoop in every time, we're not allowing our kids to develop those kinds of skills. And in the opposite direction, it works the same, right? Every time guilt shows up when we're parenting and not working, it causes us to not be present with our kids. And then we don't get a chance to recharge our work battery because we're not fully detached from work. We're not resting from work. So the more that we can notice guilt and allow it to tell us, you know, is now a time that I really need to pay attention to work or to parenting, whichever is getting cued, um, either use it to prompt action or notice it and then choose to kind of let it go and pay attention to whatever role you're in. That's sort of the, the general guidelines for how to manage guilt. A simple fact of modern parenting is that there is at least one and possibly two parents who are working and trying to raise a family at the same time. That's just a fact. The statistics show that number is rising steadily and being overwhelmed can seem like a constant state for many parents. Any strategies that could help? Working parents are are the dominant kind of parent. We have 95% of kids have at least one working parent. 60% had both in 2020. And again, as you said, it's rising. So overwhelm is a really common feature of modern parenthood. And one of the one of my absolute favorite skills is to remember to subtract. And that idea comes from this research from a, a researcher at University of Virginia, Lady Klotz, who has a terrific book called Subtract. Highly recommend it. And in it, he goes into this really cool series of studies where what researchers found is that humans systematically overlook subtracting as a way to solve problems, even when subtracting is the better choice. And so to kind of lay the stage a little bit better, we often think about less as a nice outcome, right? You think about your closet and we think, oh, like if I had less junk in there, that would be a better thing. Or you look at your schedule and your kid's schedule and you think, ooh, this is so packed, less would be a good thing. And so we can see the outcome of less as a positive, as something that would be worthy of trying to achieve. And yet we can't seem to figure out how to get there. And the reason, this is really interesting, is that the human brain is wired to acquire. We are much better 
when faced with a problem to come up with an additive solution. And they found this in study after study, like different kinds of stimuli. When people are asked to solve a problem, the default is to come up with additive solutions. What's more, when we're cognitively overwhelmed, we're even more likely to neglect subtraction as an option, which is unfortunate because if you're really busy and you have too much going on, and then now somebody asks you for another thing, another favor or another task that is on your plate, you're much less likely to say, sorry, I'm too busy because you're too overwhelmed to even process it. You just say, sure, I'll just do it. And again, from an, I'm going to go to evolutionary science again here because it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. In pre-modern times, if you were faced with a stressor, it was typically not enough calories, not enough human relationships, not enough shelter. And so the common way to solve those kinds of problems would be to add. But we don't live in a world like that anymore. Now we have an abundance of resources. And so less not having enough is typically not, for most people, the issue. In fact, in modern working parenthood, the issue is that we have too much stuff going on. I'm talking specifically about our calendars. And so one nice science-backed tip here is that first, recognize that subtracting isn't easy. It's not going to be the default, even when it's a better choice. And so we have to build habits around it and do it more deliberately. And recognizing that empowers you to kind of set up cues in your environment to, for example, when you go through your weekly to-do list to really have a, on there like a, a check mark, like have I thought about what not to do, what is just kind of junking up my schedule. And you can even think about it more broadly and reflect on the past week and think about where did you spend time that isn't really value aligned, that didn't really contribute to the life that you want to live or the world that you want to be building for your kids or even the work that you want to be doing for your professional life. And really think about as much as you can, just kind of setting up some rules about like, you know, those kinds of activities like social media or uh, meetings that are that seems sort of not very useful or um, parenting activities that other people are doing, but that don't really matter to you, right? Think about what your values are. And if it's somebody else's value and they want to do it, great. But if it's not important to you, see about subtracting it in order to allow yourself to be able to do the things that are important to you with more wholeheartedness. Because if you're so busy and running around from thing to thing, then it's hard to really enjoy and get the most out of the things that are important to you. And working parent lives have some things that are really important. And often you'll find there's some things that just kind of junk up and you need to kind of very deliberately remove them. So remember to subtract. It's not effortless. It's such an important point because really what you're talking about is a combination of saying no, where it applies, and also doing regular audits of your time and how you're spending it. It's something that many of us might not think about doing on a regular basis. So what did you then discover in the research about connection, preserving and maintaining it? I have a chapter on connection and in it, I actually focus a lot on relationships with our primary partners. Um, and what's interesting is I actually don't talk a lot about our relationships with kids, but I, I will sort of talk about the clinical recommendations that I give, which is um, remember that you're, you don't have control over your kids. This is sort of the basics 101. I think for a lot of parents, we get so anxious about our kids' safety and their future. And we want so much, right? These are our little hearts walking out in the world. So move from control to influence. 
and use a positive relationship with them to have influence. And in fact, you'll have more influence if you stop trying to control. It's very paradoxical as many things in psychology are. But the more we try to dictate what our kids are interested in, how they do things, what they care about, um, the less they want to pay attention to what's important to us. And this is really helpful when you're trying to instill values, that you give them options. Because what we know from kids you know, as young as two is that feeling a sense of agency is really important, right? And that's important. I actually talk about this within partnerships too. Everybody, right? All adults want to feel as, and 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 small people want to feel a sense of agency. And so, the more that we can respect our children's and our partners' agency, the more we can cultivate warm, close relationships. The other thing, and this is another basic thing that I think we often forget about, is that in any conversation, there needs to be a speaker and a listener. And sometimes, as parents, we forget the listening part because we're so invested in imparting our wisdom, and our kids really need a listening ear. And again, this is a give and take. They'll be a lot more likely to listen if we also really develop a good listening ear. And sometimes it can be really hard to figure out like who's in the listener role and who's in the speaker role. And so I really encourage people to get really structured about it to tell their kids, "Okay, I know I haven't been listening to you lately, and I think that there might be some things that you have to tell me." I'm going to step into listening role. I really want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to try to do it with as little judgment and criticism as possible. And I want you to be able to come talk to me. As our kids get older, we kind of have to do this a little bit on the fly, right? They're not going to necessarily be in the mood to talk to us. And so some of that has really requires a lot of what we call psychological flexibility, which is kind of being able to pivot into a particular mode given the context that we're in. So if our teenager is ready and willing to talk, we sort of need to be able to largely drop what we're doing and really step into that listening mode so that they feel like they have a receptive ear in us. Um, some of the other tools that I talk about, I'll just give one other quick communication tool, is that we want to separate out two different kinds of conversations. One is discussion, where the point is to really hear and understand where the speaker is coming from if we're in the listener role. The second kind of conversation is problem solving. So there we want to solve a problem. And often what happens in conversations that go off the rails is that one person really wants to vent and have the other person listen deeply, whereas the other person wants to problem solve. And so if you have two vacation partners that are on different pages in terms of they want to get out of a conversation, it doesn't feel good for either person have some clarity in setting the agenda or asking what kind of a conversation do you want to have? Dr. Schoenbrunn, was there a particular piece of research that you came across that you applied in your own life that you found to be game-changing as a working mother? Yes. My favorite concept probably is something called psychological detachment. So I think working parents, we have a really hard time finding a way to rest because there's so much to do and so little time to do it. So I love this idea of psychological detachment, which is really just a fancy way of saying we turn off completely from whatever role we're not in. So when we're at work, we try as much as we can to switch off our parenting role so that our parenting role gets a break, right? Even though we're working, we're not actually taking a nap. We're resting our parenting self when we're at work, if we can do that. Same thing goes for parenting. If while we're parenting, we can really deliberately turn off of work, right? get off the Slack channel, really turn it off. 
then when we go back to work, we'll feel more recharged. And the research on this is clear. When we psychologically detach, turn completely off from the role that we stepped away from, we have a chance to recoup some energy and return to it later with a bit more um, juice in our batteries. And that is very good for both roles and a really clever way for people who are very busy to access a break from each role that we have. So I've been very deliberate about that. Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn is a clinical psychologist, assistant professor at Brown University, and author of Work, Parent, Thrive. Thank you so much for sharing your time and insight with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time chatting with you. Be sure to watch the full video version of this interview at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.